Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Hey, I'm pumped to be with you here this morning, and I really believe that God has something incredible to impart to us this morning. And so I'm excited, and I'm ready to dive in. I've titled this message, Wildly Joyful. Wildly Joyful. Uh, And so we're going to jump right in. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn over to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in the first six verses. But before we jump into Philippians, I did want to just say something. I felt compelled to say something this morning to you, and that is thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, but I know from a lot of other people as well. Like we've been going through a season where our pastors, and this is Pastor Appreciation Month, but we've been going through a season where our pastors have been in a bit of a difficult season themselves. And they've had to step out of ministry, not wanting to, but being directed to by medical people. And then on top of that, friends uh, and, and other leaders as well saying, get out because you need to get better. And we've given them the ability and the grace to do that. And I just want to say thank you. It's not always easy watching, you know, some, a different speaker up here every Sunday come up and you're like, where's Pastor Rod? Where the heck is Pastor Val? So thank you for your grace. This is what family does. When we go through things, we come together as a family and we support one another. And you have done that so graciously. And I just want to say thank you. So Philippians chapter one is where we're going to be this morning. I want to take us on a short journey as we go through the first six verses of chapter one to really help us understand joy. And my hope is that we would walk out of this place equipped with joy. And so I'm excited about it. How many of you seen some cranky Christians? I mean, some really cranky Christians, you look at their facial expressions and you think, you could pickle some cucumbers with that thing. Like, do you eat lemons for a living? Like, what in the world? Some really cranky Christians. And my question is like, how do we get like that sometimes as Christians? And I think it's because we go through hard things in life. I mean, there's some things that we go through that are just challenging. And then there's circumstances that we go through. And it seems like the same, you know, situation just ends up the same way. The same thing just happens over and over again. And so we become very cynical in our understanding towards God. And we begin to lose our joy. Or we just go through something tremendous in life and we allow the enemy to rob us of our joy because of that circumstance. Well, I believe that as Christians, we are called to be joyful. You might recall what one leader said in the church. His name was James. He was actually a brother of Jesus, which was probably quite difficult. Nonetheless, he said this in a letter that he wrote to a church. He said, listen, consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. In other words, don't become cynical. Don't, don't, don't be so overwhelmed to the point of losing your joy. Why? Because there is a tremendous growth that's happening when we go through things in life. If, if God were to write me a letter and say, hey, you're gonna have three girls and here's the, the complications and here's the joys and here's everything that's gonna happen in their life, I would begin to read through the manuscript and I'd begin to read one line through all the difficulties. I don't wanna see my daughter go through that. I don't wanna see my, I would begin to take all of those parts out because I think that's best for my daughter. But it's in reality that those things are gonna, who, are gonna make them who they are called to be, stronger in Jesus. 
Now, one, leader, one, one artist wrote this, and I wanted to read these lyrics to you. It's, it's Andy Grammer. He's one of the guys that I like to work out to. when I, he's, he's upbeat, and so I like to jam out to him when I work out. But he's got this song out that's really hard for me to swallow sometimes when I hear the lyrics. But I wanted to share them with you this morning. It says, but I wish you pain, wish you pain. It's hard to say, but I wish you pain. Because I love you more than you could know, and your heart, it grows every time it breaks. I know that it might sound strange, but I wish you pain. Like, why would an artist come up with lyrics like that? Because he's learned something in life. And I probably wouldn't sing that over you guys at all. (laughs) But he's learned something in life, and that's the pain that we're going through today is the strength for our tomorrow. The pain that we are going through today is the strength for our tomorrow. I believe as the church, we are stepping into a season of growth and joy, wild joy. And in scripture, Jesus is described as both the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb of God, as the one who brings a sword and the prince of peace, the man of sorrows, but he is also the fullness of joy. And so, yes, Jesus was certainly a man of sorrows in order that he might be able to identify with this, but he was also so full of joy that we might be attracted to him. He was so radiant and full of joy, and there was just something about him that when he spoke, there was people from all over the place that would come, and they would listen and literally hang on every word that he said. He had enemies, of course, but the only thing his enemies had against him was that he was the life of the party. He was the guy that's going out and hanging out with the guys that were eating the good food and drinking the good wine. And they're like, oh, who is this man? But Jesus was full of joy and he said this about joy. He says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy would overflow. That's the Christian life. And I wanna read to you the first uh, six verses in the book of Philippians. Starting in chapter one, verse one. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and the deacons. May God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And verse 3. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And in verse six, and I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Maranatha, Jesus come, right? That is the cry of our heart. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, when I begin to look at our culture, I begin to look outside at our culture, there is this American ideological opposition to anything that challenges our rights to happiness, comfort, and convenience that seems to be ingrained in all of us. And our culture says that the number one priority in life is for us to pursue happiness. But the problem is, is that while we're pursuing happiness... What we're really longing for is joy and the fullness of it, the overflowing of it. 
And our, our culture's understanding of happiness is that if we can somehow have complete control of our life, and if we can keep our, our circumstances favorable, then at that time we can be happy. But we know that doesn't happen, right? And so the joy, on the other hand, is completely different. Joy is, isn't something whimsy, fle- some fleeting emotion. No, but it is this, and I've defined it here. I'll put it up here. It's a fierce, unshakable force that bubbles up from the very core of who we are. It's not just happiness. It's a relentless confidence that God is in control no matter what storms we are facing. Our joy should never be dependent on our circumstances. Joy bubbles up in us as we are yielded to the Spirit of God and constantly submitted to Jesus. Christianity really is supposed to be joyful. It's a relationship that, you know, where we get to experience Jesus in such a way where there is this, literally this joy unspeakable that's bubbling outside of us. And this idea that true spirituality is supposed to be equated with misery and being poor and having no fun and, you know, just, ah, you know, that is not, that's contrary to scripture. That's not what scripture teaches us. There really should be this joy that's contagious with inside of us. And that was certainly the case for a man by the name of Paul. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. This was a letter that he wrote. He actually wrote about 13 letters in the New Testament. And Paul's heart and Paul's dream and Paul's call was to go plant churches everywhere he went. So he'd roll up into a city and he would just declare the good news of Jesus. People would get saved and and this church would start and he'd say, okay, love you guys. Boom, move on to the next city and start, you know, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ again. And, And another church would pop up and he'd move on and move on. That's what Paul did. But when he wrote this letter, I want you to see the circumstances of what he was going through because he really had every excuse as he was pinning these very letters to join the fellowship of the irritable. He had every excuse of playing the victim, right? So so he wrote this letter in Rome after being defamed, beaten, taken advantage of, uh, humiliated in front of everybody. He's thrown into a prison. He's literally shackled to a guard and he's literally on death row. That's when he wrote this letter. Here's the thing, this short letter that's written to, to Christians in the Greek city of Philippi, it doesn't even contain a hint of bitterness. Not a hint of bitterness. In fact, crazy enough, it's a book about joy. Now, I probably would have wrote a different letter. Like, come rescue me. You guys need to come up with a plan. You know, like get a mob together and then come in, get me out, man. Let's go. We got missions to do. But he didn't do that. Like he, he was full of joy as he wrote this letter in the circumstances that he found himself in. Now, you think Paul would have taken the opportunity to play that victim. You know, a victim is someone who's trying to, to find a rescuer, you know, to make them feel happy and safe. They're, they're, they're always trying to find fault in the people and the situations that are around them. And they feel powerless to do anything about their own choices or their circumstances. And so what they do is they wait for someone to come in and rescue them. And a lot of times victims will try to convince you how terrible a person is or how horrible a situation is with hopes to get your sympathy so that they can win you over to their side. Every situation is somebody else's fault. That wasn't the case with Paul. And he really had every reason to blame others. But when you read through this letter, triumph, not defeat, flashes forth in the life of Paul. It's It's not fear, but 
but it's faith that characterizes his tone as he writes this letter. And so my question is, how? How was he able to pull that off? I mean, this was a challenging situation for him. How was he able to pull that off? And it's because he had something impenetrable guarding his heart, joy. The joy of the Lord was his strength. Joy makes us unstoppable and impenetrable. It's a strong fortress that surrounds our hearts. Joy is what Paul wanted to communicate to the Christians in Philippi. And so I want you to notice with me again in verse one, it says that he was a slave of Christ. And I'll back up just a minute here because it also mentions Timothy. Who's this Timothy guy? Well, I don't believe Timothy helped Paul write this book. If you read through it, you'll see that it has the tone of one person writing it. It's very likely Paul was actually dictating it. And somebody else was taking notes, you know, good for him. But, but, but Timothy was Paul's protege. I mean, Timothy really looked up to Paul. Paul was discipling Timothy, and I believe he included him in the letter because he wanted to honor Timothy. I love it when Christian leaders are not up here, but they're right here honoring the people that are around them. And so Paul was not, it says that he was a slave of Christ. In other words, he wasn't a slave of his circumstances. He wasn't a slave of his government. He was a slave of the Roman army. He wasn't a slave to that. His life wasn't ultimately ruled by those who treated him badly or by a bad hand that he got dealt in life. No, he was actually ruled by Jesus. He literally had the fullness of joy on the throne of his heart. And the word slave is doulos, and it means bond slave or, or slave by choice. And really, that's hard for us to understand. In Exodus chapter 21, in verses 1 through 6, it really sheds some light on it. But essentially, you had slaves in those times that, that literally owed you know, a debt or some money. They owed something because they couldn't pay it back. They, they basically offered their services. They were giving their lives to pay this debt off. And for six years, they were supposed to serve their master to pay this back. And after the end of the six years, they could go free, but they could also choose to stay with their master. If they wanted to, they were like, hey man, this is family. Like I've, this is my brother, that's my sister. Like I've become family in this place. I don't want to go anywhere. And so what would happen is they would take him outside publicly in front of everybody. And the master would put his ill earlobe on the, the doorpost or some type of a post. He would drive a nail through his right earlobe. He would put an, a ring in there signifying that he chose to be a slave. He chose to be a slave. Paul chose to be a slave of Christ. Slavery is a mindset. You can choose to be a slave of your circumstances, or you can choose to be a slave of the people that are around you, or you can choose to be overwhelmed and occupied by all the things that you have to deal with in life and what they're, what's coming your way, or you can choose to be a slave of Christ, to allow the mind of Christ to serve, to, to, to take captive those thoughts and to submit to the fullness of joy, Jesus. Listen, church, I'll be honest with you. This isn't an easy thing. When I preach this, it's not like we're all standing there going, yeah, those people that make, you know, circumstances are slaves. Like, no, we all have been there. We might be going through that now in life. 
And I want to encourage you, that is a part of the, 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 the Christian walk, learning and developing a mindset that is so strong that we no longer have to be a slave of our circumstances. And I want to encourage you, you are stronger than you think. You can get out of that. And if you find yourself in a particular situation where you're like, Adam, I am a slave to my circumstances, but I'm telling you right now, I don't have the energy or the strength to get up out of here. I would say, look around at the brothers and sisters that are sitting next to you and in this room, because we are called to call on one another for help, for encouragement, for prayer, for someone to come alongside us and help us out as we were going through difficult things in life. Listen, you are powerful. You are capable of deciding the course of your life and making daily decisions that line up with your core values. And I'll say this, no matter your past, you have the ability to create your tomorrow. No longer your past, you have the ability to create your tomorrow. Let's look at verse one again. It says that he wrote to all of God's holy people, or maybe in your translation, it might read saints, and all the overseers and deacons. The overseers or the, the bishops, you know, they were the elders of the church. You know, think about the elders that God has put in this church. They were the elders of the church and they were responsible for shepherding or pastoring the people of God. And the deacons, they were the ones who had special service responsibilities. You know, they were the, the muscle, if you will, behind taking care of the orphans and the widows. And essentially the overseers and the deacons, they were the leaders in the church. And Paul is writing to them. And as a side note, I just wanted to encourage us, if if you find yourself as a Christian leader in this church or even outside of this church, it is not our job to make ourselves up here and everybody else down here. No, we are all one in Christ. And it's a Christian's leader job. It's their, somebody, you know, they, a leader has somebody following them. And literally, it's a Christian leader's responsibility to come alongside brothers and sisters in the Lord, teaching them, loving them, encouraging them, and, and, and helping them grow up in their faith in Christ Jesus. Not telling them, no, you can't do that. Yeah, you could do that. You know, it's not, Jesus said it this way, don't lord it over like the Gentiles do. We need to get down on our knees like Jesus, the main leader of this church, and wipe the grimy toes of the very toes he created. That's how Jesus illustrated strong leadership. Side note, I digress. I want to touch on something really quick because there are some of us, even in this room, as Christians who feel worthless or even less Christian than our brothers and sisters that are standing around us. And it's like there's Christianity has two teams, you know, like there's the A team and then there's the B team. And unfortunately you made the C team, but that's, that's, that's not Christianity at all. Christianity is one team and we all become a part of that team because of the same thing that we all need. And that is the grace of Jesus Christ coming into our lives. You're not your feelings. And the saying is true. Your attitude affects your altitude. How you think affects how you feel. In fact, the wisest man on the face of the earth literally said this, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. And so when Paul mentions the word saint here or holy ones, he literally means all Christians, those who follow Jesus. When I heard the word saints, you know, I used to think that saints were the old superheroes. You know, the guys that, that 
prayed for hours, fasted for days, never sinned, did everything right, had superpower abilities that I would never have. But that is so far from the truth. Now, the faints, the first saints here in the New Testament, you know, Paul, the apostle Paul, Peter, James, those guys, they all died. They were martyrs for Jesus. Some of them pretty gross deaths for Jesus. And what happened was, is we set up a bit of a a memorial, almost like a Veterans Day-like type memorial, where there's this wall, and we've got Peter and John, and you know, we've got all these disciples on there. And so traditionally, the Catholic Church, and if you're part of the Catholic Church, love you, brother and sister. Trust me, we are one in Christ Jesus, and I'm not dogging on you whatsoever, but the institution, the organization began to build off the tradition and began to say, hey, listen, a saint isn't everybody. A saint has certain characteristics that we need to apply. And so they began to build on this. And here's what they did, this next slide. It says, in order to be a saint, you had to be a Catholic, number one. Well, I didn't make it right there. Darn it. You know, like, number two, you had to die. You couldn't even live and be a saint. I mean, if I was going to be a saint, I'd want to be living and being a saint, but you couldn't. You had to die. Number three, there had to be this local devotion that would grow up around your memory. And then number four, your life had to be investigated. Your local bishop would investigate your life. And if if it matched up to to potential sainthood, they would say, you know what? We're going to send this off to the Vatican to to check out and they can investigate it. And then they would pray for a miracle in your name after you die. And if that happens, and the Vatican would definitely investigate it to make sure it was a legitimate miracle and you didn't just go up and put some ketchup on Mary's eye as she's crying, but you know, it was a legitimate miracle that they would then say, you're blessed. This miracle has now made you, you're not even a saint yet. Like, we just had a miracle, not even, you're just blessed. And then a second miracle if it was prayed for and it actually happened and the Vatican investigated it and it came true, then you were a saint. And, and then what would happen is they'd name a hospital after you and you'd maybe get a holiday like St. Mark's Day and you get to eat a lot of food and have people yell. You know, it's like maybe, maybe. But that's not the heart of what Paul is talking about. The Bible says there's one step in becoming a saint and that is the grace of Jesus Christ in your life. Now listen, sin may describe some of your activity, but it does not define your entire identity in Christ. You will sin some of the time, but you are a saint all of the time. Sin is some of what you do, but it's not the totality of who you are in Christ Jesus. There's a big difference between having sin and being sin. And because you have a new identity as a saint, you can have new victory over sin. And as a sinner, you have a dark past, but as a saint you have a bright future. Wow, thank you, Jesus. Let's take a look at verses three through five. I wanna begin to explain to you how this church started because I think it's important as we talk about joy. But in verse three, it says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. And whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue. And Paul had this deep relationship with the church in Philippi. It's not like, you know, oftentimes when Paul would write a letter, he would write, hey, uh, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. 
He doesn't include that in his introduction. And I think it's partly because he has this strong relationship with the church that's in Philippi. He doesn't have to prove his apostleship. He already has that strong relationship with them. And so the church in Philippi was seemingly literally birthed out of a, uh, a roadblock, if you will. It was, a, it was a no from God, if you will. You know, Paul, remember, you know, it was his heart's desire, his dream to go plant churches. And so that's what he would do. And he would take several missionary trips to do this. And he would just go from one place to another planting these churches. But on his second missionary trip, when he would go try to plant a church, it, it says in Acts chapter 16 that he was trying to go up into Asia, which is modern day Turkey, just north of Iraq and Syria. And he would try to go into this place and he would try to plant a church, but all of a sudden the Bible says in Acts chapter 16 that the spirit forbade him. God said no. And at that point, Paul could have said, I don't know what's going on. I feel like I'm doing the right thing. I'm going after these things. And God keeps closing the door on me. I don't understand what is happening, you know? And so I've been in a place like that very much so where I feel like I'm following God's lead. I feel like I'm doing the right thing. I feel like I've got a desire and it's a God desire and I'm chasing after it. I'm selling my house and I'm taking all the resources and I'm pouring it into that dream. And all of a sudden, God just shuts the door on me. And maybe you've gone through something like that where you feel like you're just going after the things of God and God just slams a door. You didn't have the money to pay rent because you used all your resources over here because that's what you felt like God was doing. And then he closes a door on me and you get confused and it's easy at that point to say, you know what, I give up. But that's not what Paul did. Paul continued to press into God and as he contemplated and as he tried to figure out what God was doing, he was crying out to God and God dropped a vision in his mind. I love that. It was a God vision. I love those. And it was a Macedonian man. And this Macedonian man was saying, come over here, help us. And it was like a light bulb went on in Paul's mind. I get it. I'm not supposed to go to Asia. I'm supposed to go to Europe. So Paul gets on a boat and he travels over to Europe. And as he pulls up on the shores of Europe, you know, I imagine he thought he was gonna see this Macedonian man. Hey, Paul, come on. But he didn't see that guy. You know what he saw? He saw a group of ladies meeting there on the shore. So you know what he did? He went over and he preached the gospel to those ladies. And there was a leader by the name of Lydia who was leading that group and she gets radically saved. She was a businesswoman of fine linen, purple fine linen. She gets radically saved. And then he's going around the city and just walking around and there's this annoying, psychotic girl that keeps following him, should be in an institution, but she keeps following him. He finally gets so annoyed that he looks back and he realizes this girl's got a demon. And so he casts the demon out of her and she gets radically saved. Well, this put the city in an uproar because this girl was the, the means by which these businesses around made some money and now she's no longer working for them because she got radically saved and doesn't want to be a part of their business anymore. So they get ticked off. They tell the authorities. The authorities come on in. They arrest Paul. Wow, it's over again, Paul's thinking, I'm sure. And he's thrown into jail. But you know what? Paul didn't allow the circumstances to rule him. And what he, do, what he did was start singing worship songs. Pretty crazy, but he started singing worship songs. And all of a sudden, there was this violent earthquake that began to happen. I mean, that is something. Oh, woo! And so all of a sudden, the cell just opens up. I mean, that is some powerful stuff that's happening right there. Supernatural stuff. The cell opens up, and all these prisoners are leaving. And Paul goes to leave, and he looks over, and he sees this prison guard who's about to kill himself. And literally what's happening is this prison guard, if all of the prisoners, you know, are, are able to escape, he's done. 
The people that are in charge of him are going to come do some stuff to him. And he doesn't want that. He doesn't want the reputation of the prison guard that let everybody go. And so he is about to literally kill himself. And Paul stops him in his steps and says, wait, preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, says that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Nero. He says that Jesus came to die for your sins so that you might be one with him. Jesus was the promised Messiah in the Old Testament that has come. He takes away the sins of the world and this prison guard gets radically saved. And that is how the church in Philippi literally is started. Powerful, crazy testimony of how God was moving. And what was seemingly a closed door with the future that seemed uncertain, what was probably a really difficult uh, time in Paul's life, you know, he's going after it and the door shuts, door shuts, door shuts. He could have easily given up, but he didn't allow his circumstances to make him a victim. No, it was the joy of the Lord that was his strength. And he continued to pursue God and he continued to cry out to God. He continued to look to see what God wanted him to do. And God dropped a victory. And I believe that God has the same for you and I. I believe that if you're in a place where you're going through some stuff and you feel like giving up or you feel like there's no end, the future's uncertain, I don't know how I'm going to pay rent, I don't know how I'm going to do these different things in my business that I felt like God was calling you to, I'm saying hang in there, pursue God, and I believe he'll drop a vision in you. Maybe God is up to something bigger. Maybe God is up to something better. Better. Maybe God doesn't want to just bless you. Maybe he wants to bless other people like some business girl or some crazy psychotic girl or some suicidal prison guard. Maybe God's got something else in mind for you. And then we step into verse 6. And it says, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. If I could sum up what Paul says in my language, don't give up. Christ is in it to win it. He's taken you from glory to glory to glory, from good to great. Hang in there. Church, I want to encourage you to read through the book of Philippians. I thought about going through in the entire book, but I figured by five o'clock, you guys would get really exhausted. And so I chose to go through the first six verses, but I want to encourage you to go through the book of Philippians. Listen, four chapters, 104 verses. And I, I am, you know, for me to read, it's really a challenge and I love to read, but I start reading something and then my mind goes off in left field to thinking about what I've got to do. And I'm like, what did I just read? So I've got to go back and start over. Even with that, it took me 15 to 20 minutes to read through the entire book book of Philippians. I want to encourage you to do that. And Maria, if you could go ahead and come up on the keys for me, please. We're going to go ahead and conclude. If you're anything like me, you know, you might be wondering, okay, Adam, you gave us a definition of of joy. Thought it was cool. You used the word bubble in there. You brought to our attention Paul's life and how he experienced joy in his life. But the the question that I have for you, Adam, is how do I experience joy in my life? How How do I deal with the circumstances that I'm going through and still have that impenetrable heart that's surrounded by joy like you said Paul's heart had? I want that. Let me, let me, let me put it a different way. 
you, you can go to the gym every day. And maybe I'm like, hey, do you, you go to the gym, huh? He's like, yeah, I go to the gym. What do you do? Oh, I just talk to people and I slap them high fives and encourage them. Like you're gonna come out of there just as unhealthy and weak as you went in there. If you wanna get strong, you gotta go in there and pump some iron. You gotta get your heart rate up. You gotta put in the time, the effort, and the grit. And listen, you can come to church until you're blue in the face. And I believe in coming to church because we gather as a people to love on one another and to hear from one another. I believe that wholeheartedly, but that doesn't mean you're gonna walk out of this place whole, healthy, and free. You gotta put in the time. You gotta put in the grit. You gotta get the heart rate up, if you will, if you wanna make a difference in your life. And so I wanna give you three handles that will help you cling to joy no matter what you're going through in life. Number one, rest in him. Rest in Jesus. Now, you remember the verse that we read about in the beginning? It was, it was out of John chapter 15, Joy says, I've told, excuse me, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. But what were the these things that Jesus had just mentioned to them? It's the story about the vine and the branch in John chapter 15. And Jesus says this, he says, if you remain in me and my word in you, you will experience this joy, this overflowing joy. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, you will make known to me the way of life. In your presence is fullness of joy in your right hand. There are pleasures forever. I'm talking about resting in Jesus. What does that look like? We had our men's breakfast yesterday and we gathered around the table and we began to you know, talk with one another. And one of the guys had this profound thing that he brought up. He says, listen, you know, we often go to Jesus because we need something. And that's good. That's good. We, we need a healing. And so we go to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I need a healing. Or Jesus, you know what's going on in my family? Touch my kids' hearts. Please touch their hearts, Lord. And, we, and, and that's good. Jesus wants us to come to him with those things. He, he longs and desires us for to come to him with those things. He said, but what about if we just went to Jesus to be with Jesus? We didn't, we didn't go to Jesus because we needed something. What if we just went to Jesus to be with Jesus? And I thought about something. I thought about when I was a young father and I had three beautiful little girls running around and I still remember their nightgowns. You know, one of them was, you know, had, they all had different characters, Disney character nightgowns. And I still remember their little feet and as they would run around and I would chase them and I'd grab them and I would hold on to them and, and I would kiss them and they would say, oh, gross, daddy. And they would try to get away and run away from me. And there were times where they would come to me and they would, you know, just their cute little faces and they would say, Daddy, can I have some more, you know, uh, goldfish? Of course, sweetie. And I'd go get them more goldfish. But I remember sitting on the couch one evening and they were playing in their rooms and one of the girls walked out of the room and she came down and she sat and just snuggled in my lap. She didn't ask me for anything. She didn't say, Daddy, can you get me this? Or Daddy, you know, my sister hit me or anything like that. She just wanted to be with her daddy. Oh, I treasure that moment. How much more so does your father in heaven want you to simply be 
with him. And this might sound weird, but maybe we just need to snuggle with Jesus. Maybe we just need to spend time with Jesus. I mean, he wants us to bring our needs to him, but maybe just spend time with him because you love him. And as we rest in him, that joy then begins to surround our hearts and it's impenetrable. Number two, show appreciation. Going back to our passage this morning, Paul in verse three, he says this, he says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. There is just something about showing appreciation, about having a thankful heart. It's easy to find things to complain about. And a lot of times our complaints are really first world problems. But we've got to remember the things that God has done in our lives and the blessings that he's brought into our lives. And we've got to have a thankful heart. You know, meditating on the very fact that Jesus, ah, thank you so much for what you've done. You gave me that job. I got that promotion. I remember it, Lord. You are a good, good, good father. Oftentimes what I do, and honestly, this is what we do as a family, we will take those blessings and we'll write them down and put them in a jar. And then at the end of the year, our year, uh, we will actually read those out loud so that we can remember and remind ourselves of those things that God has done so we don't forget because it's so easy to find stuff to complain about and not be thankful about. Number three, start sharing joy and stop giving joy. One of the things that I found easy is to start comparing my life to the highlight reels of other people's lives. And this is super easy on Facebook or Instagram or Snap or whatever it is you use. You know, we look at this family and they take this selfie and they're all put together perfectly and the kids are like well-behaved and, and it's just this, per they're on vacation again. You know, it's their 19th vacation this year. And you're like, dear God, like I want their life. What, what, my kids are like beating each other. And look at their kid, look how he's holding his arm like that. And he's not, you know, squeezing or doing anything. You know, it's like we begin to compare our lives with them. But if you were to go behind the scenes, you would probably see the same thing somebody's pulling hair out of their head, another person's yelling, things are getting crazy, their life is just like your life. And so stop comparing your life to somebody else's highlight reel because it robs you of your joy. Instead, we need to start sharing our joy. We should share it with the world. We should be a blessing to others and allow them to see Jesus inside of us. In Philippians chapter two, verse two, it says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Listen, central to the book of Philippians is the very person of Jesus. And it's the very reason that Paul is being beaten and thrown into prison and on death row. The very reason is because of Jesus. But that same Jesus is the very source of his contentment, of his strength, and of his joy. And remember, joy is used 19 times in this short book. And Paul could have shared on many things to the Philippians, but he chose to share joy. And so Coastal family, my heart and my prayer is that we would leave this place with a fire on in our heart of joy. Let's choose joy by resting in him, by showing appreciation, and by sharing our joy with the world. God is birthing something incredible through us, and the joy of the Lord needs to be our strength. 
and we've got this. Don't give up. God's in it to win it from glory to glory, from good to great. If you could, just stand to your feet. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done in our lives, Lord. Thank you for rescuing us and pulling us out of the miry muck and putting us on that solid rock. Thank you, Jesus for pulling us out of darkness and placing us into your marvelous light so that we might proclaim your excellencies. Thank you, Jesus. And I pray that you'd have your way in our hearts and teach us what it means to rest in you. Teach us what it means to just be thankful for what you've done in our lives and teach us what it means to share your joy with this world. And so, Father, we just give this morning over to you. We give our hearts to you as a sacrifice of praise. Have your way in Jesus' name. And everybody else said, amen.